Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, Mark. Hey, Dana. So we're talking about vehicles a lot here at BNF lately. Absolutely. It's a fun thing to talk about. And every year we write a long-term electric vehicle outlook. So we've been doing this for four years, mm-hmm. which really spurs a lot of conversation around vehicles. And then there's a, so what? What does that mean for businesses? What are opportunities? Where's the demand? Where's the supply? Where are the cost declines? And there's a really interesting report that we're going to talk about today, which is the 2019 Road Fuel Outlook. So we're going to be joined by David Doherty, who's actually uh, an analyst that looks at oil demand specifically. And he's going to tell us the so what in the electric vehicle outlook, I think, one of the, one of the biggest punchlines. So let's, let's talk a little bit about vehicles. So, Mark, do you have a car? I sadly do not. Well, not anymore. I live in the middle of London, and I frankly don't need one. But you know what? I want one. Yeah, if I were to buy one, I would buy an electric vehicle. But uh, last night, actually, I was just sitting there in my flat, and, and my wife says, you know what? I want to buy a classic Mini. Like a Mini Mini? Yeah, a Mini Cooper. In not pink. like a Maxi Mini? No, no. In pink. So I went from having no car to wanting an electric vehicle to possibly going back and buying an old classic that uh, is not efficient by any means. So I've, I've got a Mini, but I got a, a Maxi Mini, a Mini oh, Country <laughs> But it's a, it's a plug-in <laughs> hybrid. And so I'm I'm loving it, first of all. I'm loving charging it and the parking. Do you feel like you're part of the future? I feel like I'm stepping into the future. Yeah. I feel like the interface inside the car is cool, the outside of it is cool, and plugging in my car is cool. You know, incidentally, we actually uh, we had a roundtable event with uh, some people working in financial services around the electric vehicle outlook. And there were all these really fascinating questions. And, you know, we liaise with people across all parts of the buy side and, uh, you know, some people in VCs who are looking at some really cool technology. And I mm. can't help getting swept up in, up in all of it, thinking... We're stepping into the future. This is so incredibly cool. It is cool. This, you know, it yeah. is cool. We're talking about transitions, energy transition, yeah, the yeah. electric vehicle transition. Inflection points. And, and, yes, yeah. peaks and all of this stuff. Totally. This report really. <laughs> yeah. The harsh <laughs> realities, it, yeah. It brings it home. <laughs> it says, you know, not to give everything away because... David Doherty is going to give you a much better view on all of this. But ultimately, there's a future for oil and there's a there's a future for CO2 and electric vehicles. They're going to disrupt things and provide opportunities and force companies to think a little bit differently. Uh, but the future in some regards looks somewhat like today. BNF does not provide investment or strategy advice. And you can hear the full disclaimer at the end of the show. You're listening to Switched On. This is Dana Perkins. And I'm Mark Taylor. And we are joined here today by David Doherty. Welcome, David. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Can you tell us what the one thing is that people should remember from this report? The one thing that people should take from this report is that regardless of how many electric vehicles, electric trucks, alternative cleaner fuels we add, 
we still end up where we are today in terms of carbon emissions from road transport? I think that's a big one thing. I think people sit there and we have this assumption that if we have a lot more electric vehicles on the road, that's going to drive carbon emissions down and probably oil demand down. Now, you're an oil demand analyst. So where are you seeing this really develop? Yeah, I mean, the, the problem is not so much in the markets we tend to sit in, the US, Europe and in China, for instance. That's where we see EVs and alternatives really taking off. That's where fuel economy regulations are pretty stringent, pretty strict in Europe, for instance. Um, the problem is in the developing world where they take our second hand cars, where they don't have mobility today. So they want mobility tomorrow. And that's the, the demand that comes onto that pile. So it's so quick, this demand growth, that regardless of what we're adding into this pile, we're not catching up with it. So we end up in 2040 where we are today in terms of overall oil consumption from passenger cars and from commercial trucks. And that is really the crux of this whole thing. Add, add, add these clean vehicles, but demand just outpaces everything. When I read your report, I came away with three things, really. To me, the whole thing said there's going to be a lot more people. People want to get places and people want more stuff, right? Does that sound like too broad a generalization or does that sound... No, I think it's pretty fair. And I mean, it's we're on a high horse sitting here in London and sure. we can say we need cleaner air, we need cleaner fuels, we need a nice electric vehicle. But getting from A to B is a necessity for some people that they don't mind what it pops out the back of that tailpipe. Mm -hmm. If you're talking about like a Western African nation, mobility is what they want. You have to be rich enough to really care about the air that you're breathing in if you can't get around, right? So you don't want to take that mobility away from somebody and you want to give them the opportunity to get it. How do we do that in the cleanest way? That is really the question we haven't really answered. It's, um, it's, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, right? People want this. They want more stuff, like you said. Want more miles. They want to be able to do things that we can do. And we sit here saying, well, actually, you know, the, the air is a bit dirty. I got a chest infection from that diesel, like the soot that comes out of the car. Right. You have to be rich enough to care about that sort of thing. If you, you know, we can get around. If you can't, you don't, you don't care if it's gasoline, if it's diesel or if it's a tank, you're going to move around. Well, so this is where governments come into play. And, and one of the things that you point out in this report is that Fuel economy standards actually have a more meaningful impact in some parts of the vehicle chain than others. Can you extrapolate on that a little bit? Yeah, 100%. So we talk a lot about different technologies, electric, hydrogen. They don't really play a role until, say, past 2030, at least not in big numbers. So how do you tackle that in the next 10 years, 2020 to 2030? And the easiest way is these fuel economy regulations. So the fuel economy is how much oil your car burns to travel one mile. Um, and the way governments are regulated in Europe, US and China basically is say the average car that you sell has to have X of a uh, fuel economy improvement by a certain date. Hmm. So you could sell 99 electric vehicles and one tank that just consumes tons and tons of diesel. Once the average works out at a certain amount, then you're good to go. Um, so that's why we're seeing electric vehicles being the answer at the moment to like the Volkswagens of the world. And um, we saw Fiat buying the credits that uh, Tesla produced from their electric vehicles so they can meet that hurdle. But fuel economy standards are, are the one that really hit oil demand in the short term and they're the easiest to put into place. They come at a cost to the auto manufacturer, which in turn gets passed on really to the, to the client at the end of the day, me and you driving our cars. But it's the quickest one that you can do. And if you look in terms of emissions, it's the, the first one that makes a dent in that, in that big stack of emissions. So they're the easiest one to put into place if you're a government, theoretically. But if you're an auto manufacturer, I would assume this is pretty tough. Hmm. Um, you can hear from my accent. I'm American. We recently in the U.S. decided to roll some of those back in the future. What does that potentially do to this forecast? Does it, does it make it fluctuate wildly if yeah, things it's a, change? Yeah, it's a big risk. So if you were like in the U.S. going to flatten 
your fuel economy regulations from say 2021 to 2025. So just say over those four years freeze, you don't need to improve anything. In the US alone, that would add about 500,000 barrels per day, half a million barrels per day. That's about 0.5% of total consumption as we stand back into that pool. So it's very sensitive to these things. And you have to think as well, if an electric vehicle comes onto the road, the way you got to think about it is it's replacing what would have been an ICE vehicle, a combustion engine vehicle. Mm-hmm. So the efficiency of that combustion engine vehicle really matters when we're thinking about how much are these electric vehicles actually displacing in the world. You know, if it's a less efficient vehicle, that, that EV displacement number looks pretty high. Really, it's still displacing the similar mile. It's just that mile consumes more oil. Um, so that is probably the biggest, the biggest swing in any of these uh, forecasts. What, what is that mile consuming? You know, how much gasoline? how much diesel and people can change their mind you know trump came in we saw that they try to roll that back or they froze it for now it's a little bit in limbo at the moment and um, europe can make it more stringent we saw during the week japan released news that they were going to introduce a new one for 2030 uh, these are people sitting in rooms making decisions they're not people on a you know a manufacturing line making the car they have to react to these politicians and this policy that comes into play but it is the most efficient and quickest way to do it. So is that the main, I don't know, load-bearing assumption in the report? So the, the government regulations, or is it uptake from emerging markets or elsewhere? Yeah, it, it's a bit of both, to be honest. So in the developing markets, I would say that the, the biggest dependency for this, what could really swing that number, yeah. would be the fuel economy you assume that the car holds. Because we're looking at okay. markets that are essentially flat. And actually what you're more concerned about now is what does Uber do to that market? So if us three are going somewhere, what if we shared that car instead of all three of us driving our cars? That's three for one, right? That's very different to in Africa where somebody might cycle or they might take a bus and they're probably going the opposite direction. They want their own vehicle. Mm -hmm. They want their own space and they want to move that mile themselves. So it's two very different things. You have a bit of crossover in the likes of, say, India, where we think um, sharing, where it's more normal there to share in the first place, will be... um, key to answering that demand and that mobility uh, growth. So it's very different in very different regions. So you, you kind of can't put them all in the same box. Um, but absolutely, the developing world where the population makes us look tiny is really where the growth comes from in both trucks and in passenger cars. We make an assumption in here around autonomous driving and that that is going to essentially reach a, a tipping point in the technology that doesn't quite exist yet. We're just assuming it's going to be there. So my kids, are they going to grow up? Are they going to have a driver's license? Are they all going to be in shared autonomously driven vehicles? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's hard to know. It's one of those things where you can make a best guess at, but what actually happens, we will you know have to wait and see. But that robo-taxis, so to speak, which is quite a terrifying word, um, are being tested out. We're seeing them in, on the roads in California, but they are on the roads in California, which even from London seems a mile away you know you're you're not quite connected to how that works and can I see myself driving around with a a robot actually behind the wheel Uh, I don't know you got to change mentalities and I would like to think I'm probably on the forefront of being okay with these things but Mm. um, yeah not proven in my head but in our forecast (laughs) in the later part of the 2030s yeah we see that playing more of a role the interesting part of that is by that time the more you drive the cheaper it is to drive on an electric mile so they will all be electric Mm. they might use more electricity but they will be electric. They won't be running off of diesel. You know, your robot's not going to pull into a station and refill their engine. You know, it's... But isn't it the same thing for the ride-sharing companies? I saw in the report it said that by 2040, you're still going to have ICE vehicles in the likes of Uber and Lyft. Yeah. I didn't quite believe that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the logic makes sense um, to shift to electric. So basically, the more you drive, the more miles you cover, the better the payback right. period is. 
What I think what's really interesting in the shared hail services is in the short term, it adds into the pile. So we've seen London, New York, where they're really actually now worried about congestion mm -hmm. because maybe on a night out, I would have previously got a bus home or the night tube. I am not getting that anymore. I'm most definitely getting an Uber. And if yeah. I really want to skimp on pennies, yeah, you'll do an Uber pool. Ago, like, it? you know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's totally different way of thinking that adds back into consumption. So our forecast builds that into the short term. Actually, it adds into the oil pool. Further out, it dips off. Yeah, absolutely. But then you shift into different parts of the world where infrastructure can become a problem. Or actually that competitiveness, the price competitiveness becomes an issue because ICE vehicles in certain regions are incredibly cheap. India, for instance, electric vehicles really struggle to compete because cars there are incredibly cheap. So you're, you're not, you know, you've moved the goalposts in different markets. You're looking at it in a very different way. Yeah, okay. So... In here, we say that peak demand for oil for light and heavy-duty vehicles uh, peaks in 2030. Mm -hmm. But I looked at the chart, and it didn't look very peaky, if you will. It looks like the sort of you know mountain I want to climb when I go on a country walk on the weekend. So how far have we gone out into the future, and do we see a drop-off at any time, or is it really looking like business as usual into the future as far as we can tell? Well, the, the story diverges massively between passenger cars and heavy-duty vehicles, right? So if you're looking at me and you driving around, we have alternative options. We've got different drivetrains coming along. We've got different solutions like Uber, like Lyft, like that robocab that might bring us around in 2035. When it comes to trucks, you're in a very different field of thing. You're, you're looking at how heavy is that truck? A truck mm -hmm. works off of putting things in the back and transporting them. If you've got a huge battery, you can't put more things on the back of it because you're regulated into how heavy your truck can be in general. If you're in a city center, however, you may not allowed be using a, a, be allowed to use diesel anymore. You can only use electric or something clean. So the trucking market itself is just a whole other thing. It's six or seven different markets. You have to think about them in a very different way. Mm -hmm. Passenger cars is easy. That peaks pretty early. I think 2026 in our forecast and comes off afterwards. It doesn't totally nosedive, but the whole time trucks continue to grow until 2035 and slow down afterwards. But it's a very minimal slowdown, which is what causes that sort of flattening out, like you said, the mountain you want to climb in the weekend sort of thing. So you can't look at them, you look at them together, but it's difficult to really understand the story unless you really pick them apart and look at what's happening in each of them. And our house view tends not to favor hybrids, but it seems like there's really a place for hybrids or range extenders or mm -hmm. plugins or s something that's halfway in between in this truck's space. Yeah, I mean, hybrids in general are expensive to make. So if you think about it, you've got the expensive parts of an ICE engine mixed with the expensive parts of an electric engine. I mean, you're putting two expensive mm. things, you don't get anything that's any cheaper. However, in the trucking space, it comes down to function yet again. You might not have the infrastructure to refuel. If you've got a, a truck doesn't have a set route, let's say, you might be going from Edinburgh to London one day, you could be going from the middle of Poland to the middle of Germany another day. Uh, so you need to know where infrastructure lies in advance. So that's where things like range extenders, which you could think of as a sort of a plug-in hybrid, come into play. You can drive some of your miles electric, but ultimately it's the diesel that recharges that engine. And then when it's recharged, it switches to that. Uh, so there is a, a role to play, but it's not as simple as thinking of a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle versus, you know, a battery electric vehicle. It's a, it's a completely different way of thinking about it. It's more through function for trucks than it is basic costs, you know. Mm -hmm. a, a car is a car, so to speak. You can drive longer or shorter. You tend to drive the same way. Trucks, you've got weight limitations. Some technologies you can't turn the corner for correctly. If you have, you know, a big fuel cell stack in the back of your truck, you can, you can only angle so much around corners. There's a lot of things you have to think about when you're looking at the trucking market that before we did this research, I never, ever thought about. 
So with these fuels that we're still going to see demand for in the future, can you break them down a little bit by gasoline and diesel? Because those have two very different demand profiles, don't they? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the passenger car market is almost exclusively um, gasoline now. Um, And we see diesel in Europe, but diesel has really had a hard time recently. There's been the, Mm. the Volkswagen scandal it's fallen out of favor. You could clean diesel up now and it's still not going to sell the way it has. We've seen the likes of Renault abandon the technology in smaller vehicles. It's just too expensive to make smaller cars with diesel now because the margins are so thin. So they're shifting away from that. So when Europe is sort of the only place using diesel, it makes sense for them to sort of conform to the rest of the world. And we're seeing lots of other uses for diesel. Trucking, which is growing. So in theory, the price of diesel should go up but also shipping, where they're shifting towards a cleaner fuel such as diesel, right? So the passenger car segment is a gasoline market, which is why that peaks before diesel. Now, diesel is predominantly used in trucks. The only place you see gasoline in trucks is sort of the lighter vans. So, you know, Amazon delivery services, they may run off of gasoline, particularly mm-hmm. in the US. In Europe, it tends to be diesel. But the diesel profile is much stronger and more resilient in terms of, um, you know, susceptible to disruption than gasoline. So we see diesel peaking in 2035. The benefit of that, however, is diesel is much more efficient on a mile uh, per mile basis than uh, than gasoline. So its carbon profile is, I would say, favorable to gasoline. You just need to manage the NOx and SOx, the emissions um, and the, the air quality issues that come from the back of it. Have you looked at what this means for, I don't know, strategies for oil companies, say? Yeah, they have to think about how they approach this a very different way in future. Uh, At the moment, we have a huge refining system in the US, which produces an awful lot of gasoline, Mm. a big refining system in Europe, which produces an awful lot of diesel. And that suits it at the moment. So Europe consumes diesel in its passenger cars, also in its trucks. The US consumes a lot of gasoline in its cars, right? What they have extra, they export to Latin America or to Africa. Europe exports gasoline to Latin America or to West Africa. We're seeing now big refining projects coming into the places that we've always used to send our excess capacity to, Mm. our excess products to. So West Africa, for instance, they've got a huge refinery, the Dangote refinery, that's being built to satisfy that gasoline demand. That is just one example of what we're seeing happening. China's doing the same, Southeast Asia, uh, Middle East. These developing markets, or developing markets, quote-unquote, are satisfying their own demand now satisfying their own supply. So if you're pumping out gasoline in Europe or the US, you now have to compete when you're trying to price that into those markets. So your whole strategy has to change. The one thing I would say is the oil market is totally used to this. You know, we have big shifts in standards. We've always had big shifts in in specs and they're not afraid to move things around. We've got uh, the IMO coming up next year, for instance. We'll see products shift around. We've already seen it happen before when diesel specs come into play. Um, of the industry, it's in, it's incredibly flexible. And I don't think people give it a lot of credit in how they can adapt to these changing markets. So in all this, who do I want to be? Do I want to be a trucking company in India? Do I want to be an oil company? Do I want to be an auto manufacturer? Who do I want to be? Yeah, it, it, that's a quite a tough question. Everybody, I think, can take value out of this in a certain way. Mm. Um, where I think the biggest opening up in terms of value will be is auto manufacturers or truck manufacturers particularly. Mm-hmm. If you think of a trucking company now, they sell their truck to somebody who's going to use it. And that person who's going to use it, parks it, fills it with diesel every day, right? Mm. Okay. So they have like an ongoing cost for the lifetime of that truck. If I am a truck manufacturer, I want to sell them something that might be more expensive today, but with cheaper running costs. So as a truck manufacturer, I have locked in more of that value that I'm going to get from that person. So that's basically shifting from the oil value chain into the auto manufacturing chain, but you have that higher upfront cost, right? 
trucking companies are, I wouldn't say cash rich, right? They right. don't have deep pockets. Right. Credit's probably an issue. They tend to be quite small. The average size is something like 10 in their fleet. That's pretty small. You're not talking about, you know, P&O ferries. Mm-hmm. It's a very different landscape. Um, but with some smart instruments, which we've already seen in the electric bus market, for instance, you can basically enter into swaps. So you may have that a truck manufacturer enters into a swap with its customer. So basically they pay a lower upfront costs, but then what they would have spent on diesel, they give to the auto manufacturer across the lifetime of that truck. Hmm. That to me is really where it gets interesting. And that's where banks will, will you know, eventually get involved. The, the balance sheet of automakers may not necessarily need to be used, but they're already banks. Volkswagen have a bank. So they're set up to think about this. And that would be an obvious, an obvious way for me to uh, make money if I was a truck maker. Mm-hmm. Um, oil companies, I think, will make money regardless because they match up supply with demand. They own the ships in between. Um, yeah, the, like I said, the demand profile changes in terms of location, mm-hmm. but the amount is still there. They'll just compete. And the bigger guys will be much better placed to compete than the smaller guys. What's next in this line of research? We want to have a look at biofuels. So what we've discovered from this one is regardless of how fast you run, how many electric vehicles or alternative fuels you put into that system, we can't get to cleaning up the road fuel sector. So what could you do otherwise with what we currently have? So we're Mm going to look at biofuels for one as a clean way of, of approaching it and also how you may be able to change the spec of what we currently use. So gasoline at the moment. We have um, 92 RON, normally maybe 95. You can clean up gasoline, so to speak, to make it into layman's terms. Is there a renaissance coming for biofuels? There has to be something. So we're huh. going to check it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not promising anything. We haven't started it yet, but um, there will be a role for sure. Okay. Um, there already is a role in the US where it's maybe 10% of consumption. Yeah. Yeah. Brazil is like 25, 27%. China's mandated mm. 20%, I think, or maybe 10% from 2020. Yeah. There'll be a role. What kind of biofuels? TBD. David, thanks for joining us. No problem. Thank Thank you you for having me. Bloomberg NEF is a service provided by Bloomberg Finance LP and its affiliates. This recording does not constitute, nor should it be construed as, investment advice, investment recommendations, or a recommendation as to an investment or other strategy. Bloomberg NEF should not be considered as information sufficient upon which to base an investment decision. Neither Bloomberg Finance LP nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this recording, and any liability as a result of this recording is expressly disclaimed. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.